The Secret Church podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For The Secret Church 9 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC9. This is Secret Church 9, Episode 3. As usual, we need to pick up the pace a little bit. And so uh, there are parts of, for the next, next hour session that we're going to we're going to f- fly through. There are parts that we will camp out on. Um, but again, the goal is to give you, give you as much as possible tonight that you can go back and, and walk through individually, small group, uh, and anything along those lines. So hopefully it will be helpful toward that end. Um, so we've, we've looked at definition of the church. Now I want us to dive in and see description of the church. It's just these, these multiple ways, images that we see and how they come together in some different ways. So sometimes when the, ch- the Bible's talking about the church, it's talking about it one way, and other times it's talking about it in a totally different way. So flying through this here, but the church is universal and local. This is important. We see both in the church. We see the church meeting in a house. We see the church meeting in a city. We see the church meeting in a region, church in the world. And so we see both of these pictures in Scripture. Universal and local. But what I want to make sure to emphasize, the dominant emphasis in the New Testament is on the local church. Out of the 114 times ecclesia is mentioned in the New Testament, at least 90 of them, at least 90 of them refer to specific local gatherings of believers. So almost all the time that New Testament is referring to the church. It's talking about local churches. The local church is a clear expression of the universal body of Christ. And we're going to talk about in just a second whether or not it's important to be committed to one local church or if it's okay, oh, I'm just a part of the universal church. We're going to talk about that in a second. But feel the weight of this right here. The dominant emphasis in the New Testament is on, it's on local churches. So the church is both universal and local. The church is both Visible and invisible. Visible and invisible. What I mean by that? Invisible church. The church as God sees it from heaven. The Lord knows who are his. Second Timothy 2 says. So that's, that's all true believers. The reality is though, visible church, the church as we see it on earth. So we identify ourselves in different churches. But... The visible church includes some false believers. And you see Paul warning about this in Acts 20. He's talking about some in 2 Timothy 2 about false believers who come in who have not, who are not truly followers of Christ, but are part of the church. Augustine said, many sheep are without and many wolves are within. So the, so the picture is only God really knows who is in, talking to universal church here. We, we come together in churches, and, and it's important that we, we guard what we, what we say, who we say is in the church. We're going to talk about that in a second, why that's important. But still, it's not going to be perfect. The church includes both New Testament believers and Old Testament believers. Now, some would debate this, and I think part of it would be semantics. But when you take the definition that we're using for church, the church as the body of God's, a body of people called by God's grace through faith in Christ, to glorify him by serving in this world, him in this world. That would include both New Testament and Old Testament. We see evidence of Old Testament gatherings, even referred to in the New Testament. 
And we see examples of Old Testament faith. You say, well, what about, you know, called by God's grace through, grace through faith in Christ? Did Old Testament believers believe in Christ? Well, look at, look at Hebrews 11, verse 26, talking about Moses. Moses considered the reproach of Christ or suffering for Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. That was Moses linked here to Christ. The rest of Hebrews 11 and then Hebrews 12 talks about how, how Old Testament believers were looking forward. You've got, I've got it here. Key difference is Old Testament believers trusted in the coming Christ. Sure, they didn't know all the details and they don't, they didn't know all that we know now. But they were looking forward to the promise that had been given all the way back in Genesis, fulfillment of the promise that had been given all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. So they trusted in the coming Christ. New Testament believers trust in the crucified Christ, looking, looking back to the cross. They were looking forward to the cross. We look back to the cross. Old Testament believers are ethnically distinct. In other words, for the most part, with a few exceptions, Old Testament people were the Jewish people, the people of Israel. New Testament believers are ethnically diverse. And so we see that's one of the huge things that we see all over the New Testament letters is the, and in the book of Acts, the bringing together of Jewish and Gentile, Jews and Gentiles together into the church. Old Testament believers are required to circumcise their male offspring. New Testament believers, oh, sorry, I skipped one. Old Testament believers lived, jumped right to the circumcision. So anyway, uh, <laughs> Old Testament believers... Just wanted to get through that, but I need to wait. Old Testament believers, we don't, we don't need to spend any more time there, lived under their own government with God-given laws. New Testament believers live among the rulers of the nations. So the reality is we're not a theocracy anymore, like we see a theocracy, a, a rule under God-given laws, Old Testament people of God, even God as their king, then God-designated kings, um, different in the New Testament. We live among the rulers of the nations. Old Testament believers are required to circumcise their male offspring. New Testament believers are required to baptize all believers. So there are some key differences there and, and key distinctions, but there is some continuity there between Old Testament and New Testament believers, which we'll talk about in just a second with Israel. The church includes, we just talked about this, both Jews and Gentiles brought together that was a picture of the gospel. It was the mystery of Christ, bringing Jews and Gentiles together. The church is unified and diversified. We've talked about that. We work for unity in the local church. We see unity, and, and we see that, that prayed for by Christ and that longed for all over. It's, it's the agony in Paul's voice in 1 Corinthians 1 when he's saying, oh, you're so divided, and division is dangerous. Paul says, watch out for those who cause divisions. They're devoid of the spirit, Jude 1.19 says. Division is dangerous and division is deadly. Listen to this. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Like you see what it's listed with. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If someone is being divisive in the church, now there's a picture in which we stand on truth and if falsehood is being proclaimed in the church, then we are responsible for standing up to that and, and not, not tolerating that, which we'll see in Galatians chapter one. But the reality is we need to promote the unity of the church. Division is dangerous and deadly. We work for unity in local church and universal church. What about the church and its relationship to Israel? 
And this could be a, a whole other secret church right here, maybe one day, but think about the church and the Israel of God. Galatians 6, Paul uses this phrase, upon the Israel of God. And in Romans 2, he talks about how, how the Jewish people were, were not Jewish by outward circumstances as much as by inward faith. And so I want, you to, I want you to think about how the church is referred to in relationship to Israel. The church has talked about we are descendants of Israel's father, Abraham. Romans 4, Romans 9. So we're descendants of Israel's father, Abraham. We are heirs of Israel, Israel's promise. You are Christ and you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to his promise. The promise that was given him, passed on to us, Romans chapter 4, in an incredible passage right there. We are recipients of Israel's blessings. This passage, and we've already referred to it a couple of times in 1 Peter chapter 2, uses so much imagery that it was for Israel in the Old Testament. Priesthood, sacrifices, living stones, chief cornerstone, royal priesthood, holy nation, people for the possession of God, talking about the New Testament. So, the reality is the story of the church ultimately begins with Israel, with the Old Testament people of God. So there's not necessarily this perfect exact identity between the church and Israel, but there is clearly continuity between what we see in Israel and then what we see happening in the church. More that we could talk about there maybe one day. The church and the kingdom of God. What about, the, is, the, is the church the same as the kingdom? And the answer is no, the church is not the kingdom. Church and kingdom are not synonymous in Scripture. They're very closely related, but not synonymous. You look through these passages I put there in Acts, you would not put church where you see kingdom here. We don't preach good news about the church of God. We don't persuade them about the church of God. Um, proclaim the church, we'll, we'll see my face again. It's not, it's not the picture. So what we see in the New Testament is the kingdom creates the church. As the kingdom of God is proclaimed, the reign of God, the rule of God, and the people under his reign and his rule, we come into the kingdom of God and the church is created. That's the picture we see. And I put some references there from, from Jesus' words in Matthew. In turn, the church ends up proclaiming the kingdom then. So the church kingdom creates the church and then the church proclaims the kingdom. This gospel of the kingdom is preached from the church. The church is the instrument of the kingdom. That the kingdom is advancing through the church. The church is the guardian of the kingdom. When Jesus is talking to his disciples, and especially Peter in Matthew 16, about the kingdom of God, he says, I will give you the key, keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is the picture of the church being entrusted as a guardian of the kingdom. Two closing truths, church and kingdom. Jesus will return for his church. The king is coming back for his church. And when he does, he will consummate his kingdom, his kingdom, his rule, his reign will be asserted once and for all and finally. So that's just a brief description of the church. Some things that I think are important in the conversation. We didn't, we didn't camp out on a lot there. Okay, now devotion to the church. What does scripture say about how much or how little Christians should devote themselves to the church? And is that, should we devote ourselves to a local church or is it just we need to be devoted to all Christians everywhere in the universal church. One of the most common questions here is, is church membership necessary? I was on a plane the other day with a guy who said, church membership, nowhere in the Bible. I'm not a member of a church. This guy said, I'm a follower of Christ, um, but not a member of a church because that's just a man-made thing, this membership thing. 
And this is where I, I would grant clearly that membership in a local church is not biblically commanded. You won't find anywhere in the Bible where the word membership, church membership, is even mentioned. And you won't find a command for believers to become a member of a local church. And so for many people, that, that just seals the, the deal. But we need to be careful. There's also not a place where Jesus explicitly says the words, I am God. There's also not a place where we see the Trinity specifically outlined in Scripture in the kind of terms that we're looking for here. So let's not throw it out the window just yet. I would put before us tonight that membership in a local church is biblically implied, understood. Now, I want want to be careful here. Even with this word membership, I think it's the best word. I I don't know of a better word to describe because what we're talking about is as a body and there are parts and there are members of a body. Now, people say, well, yes, we're just members of the universal body of Christ. But I want you to think about four ways that the Bible implies church membership in a local church and why it's important. Number one, membership is implied by church gatherings. When we see this word ecclesia, the church of God in Corinth, the church that meets in Aquila and Priscilla's house, 1 Corinthians 16. That's where 90 of the 114 references to ecclesia come in the New Testament to a gathering in a place. And followers of Christ belong to one of those gatherings. When Paul writes to the church in Corinth, that's a, that's a certain defined people. He's not writing, although obviously the implications there are in Scripture and they're for all of us, but this was a letter written to a local church at a specific time in a specific place, a specific gathering of believers. And so it begs the question, as a Christian, what gathering are you a part of? With what church do you gather? Membership is implied here that you are a part, member, whatever you want to call it, you are identified with a gathering of believers. Some people say, well, I gather with all kinds of churches. I go to a different one every Sunday, so... I could, I could get all the different letters and it's all the better. I mean, this church and this church and this church. Well, okay. Second, membership is implied by church discipline. Now we're going to talk about church discipline later on. But when Jesus talks about confronting a brother and sin, listen to how he relates it to the church. He says in verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. So you confront a brother in his sin that doesn't work, you take two or three others along, and then if that doesn't work, if he refuses to listen, tell it to the church. So who is, who is the church there? A universal body of Christ? All right, bro over here is unrepentant in his sin, so announce it to the entire universal body of Christ that this guy is unrepentant. No, this is clearly, tell it to a, the gathering of believers, the local church. You get to 1 Corinthians 5, which we'll also talk about with church discipline. And basically Paul talks about excommunicating someone from the church. And we'll talk about what, what's going on there in, in a little bit. But the reality is, in order to be excommunicated, taken out of the church, you got to be what? First, in the church. You got to be a member of the church. And apparently it was a big deal to not be a member of the church, to be basically kicked out of the church sent out from among them. How would it be possible to do what Jesus, Paul are talking about here if 
If you weren't defined as a member of a church in the first place, identified with a gathering. Third, membership is implied by church leadership. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. That's a command for Christians in the Bible. Now, again, this is something we're going to talk about later, but think about this for a second. Leaders, they will give an account. So, so leaders in a church will give an account for those whom they lead. So I'm a pastor of a church. Who do I give an account for? Who will I give an account for? Every person in the universal body of Christ? Am I responsible for pastoring, shepherding, and accounting to God for every single Christian on the face of the planet? Or in all time? No. I'm responsible for the church that I pastor, the gathering, the people. Now, obey your leaders. Submit to them. That's a command. So followers of Christ in this room are commanded to obey the leaders in the church. Now, who does that mean that you obey? Every single Christian that's out there? Turn on TV, you got somebody, well, whatever he says, I got to do it. No, no, you obey the leaders of the church that you're identified with. This whole accounting language, being shepherd over a flock, Acts 20, 1 Peter chapter 5. The reality is you're not supposed to obey just any Christian leader. We're going to talk about what this means, obeying leaders, submitting to leaders. And, and I'm not supposed to be accountable for every single person in the universal body of Christ. That totally implies a local church. Next, last implication, church membership is implied by church accountability. You look at these passages below, and you see God holding the church accountable for choosing leaders in Acts chapter 6. They're supposed to choose leaders among them. The church is accountable for preaching the gospel in Galatians chapter 1. If they're not Somebody's not preaching the gospel. The church is accountable for shutting them up. The church is accountable for identifying members. That's pictured in 1 Corinthians 5. It's interesting. The church is the one who defines who's a member in 1 Corinthians 5, not the individual. The church defines that. The church is accountable for sending missionaries in Acts chapter 13. And so all these passages, you put them together, they beg the question from every follower of Christ in this room, are you accountable? Are you an accountable member of a local church? I'm not just saying, is your name somewhere on a roll? Do you attend somewhere? I'm saying, who is your life committed to? What body, what gathering of believers are you committed to? Being with, spurring on, holding fast to the hope of God with Hebrews chapter 10? Who were the leaders that your life is in submission to who are accountable for your spiritual growth? And if you can't answer that question, the reality is you are living contrary to the pattern of the New Testament. I know, I know that's, that's not particularly popular today, but, but it's, it's what's in Scripture. Guys, this is important. Local church, for all these different reasons, God's designed it this way for our good and for his glory. Don't, we don't shop and just hop around from church to church, and we certainly don't ignore the church altogether. That's not an option. There's, there's no New Testament believers. There's no believers in the New Testament who are not associated with a church, with a local gathering 
of believers. So my encouragement is if, if you are here tonight and you are not committed to a local gathering of believers that you would walk out of here tonight with a firm commitment to make, make that a priority in your Christian life, to leave your ways behind and follow his ways. And, and doesn't terminology, whether it's called membership or this or that, the, 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 it's much bigger than that. This is a commitment of your life to a gathering of believers. That's church membership. What about a church covenant? That's, that's a discussion. We have a, a church covenant here at, at Brook Hills. I, that, again, not in Scripture. There's not a command to it. There's not a prohibition against it either. So we have asked, is it valuable? Definitions of covenant defined, just a kind of a secular definition of covenant, or written agreement or promise usually under seal between two or more parties, especially for the performance of some action. So church covenant defined, and this is... Uh, this is certainly not a divine definition. This is a David Platt definition. A clear expression of a church's commitment to love one another as a community of faith. And basically we've said as a church here that, that we want to. There's so much in Scripture. I mean, from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation about what it means to be the people of God. And so we wanted to make sure to remind ourselves clearly, biblically, hey, what does it mean for us to really be committed to one another? And it's something we celebrate together. It's not some legalistic uh, uh, code that you have to abide by. It's just us saying, hey, we want to love one another in these different ways. I think we see foundations for that in the Old Testament. You look at Nehemiah 9, 38. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. I'm not talking about, this is not on the level of Mosaic covenant, Abrahamic covenant, new covenant. Now I'm adding another covenant or we're adding another covenant. Not at all. This is just a relationship with one another. And you look in Hebrews and Nehemiah chapter 9. We're not going to spend time here, but the church is a community grounded in the Word of God. So this doesn't in any way replace the Word of God by any means. The Word is central. It forms the foundation for our commitment to love one another. The church is a community sustained by the grace of God. You see that in Nehemiah 9, just a confession of in the people of God of their need for God. The church is a community promoting the good of one another. The whole covenant that they fix their names and seals to is, is for how they're going to spur one another on, how they're going to love one another. And then the church is a community demonstrating the glory of God. What I did at the, at the end of that section is I just put it illust- as an illustration, uh, our church covenant as the church at Brook Hills. Um, feel free, if that's any help to you in any way, feel free to use it however you want. But it just, it's a picture of what I mean when I talk about church covenant. I don't think that that is essential because we don't, we don't see it commanded anywhere in scripture. I do think it's valuable. I do think it's valuable, especially when it comes to this summary of the church. What is the church? So we use this definition. The church is a body of people called by God's grace through faith in Christ to glorify him by serving him in this world. What is a local church? The local church is a local body, a gathering of believers in Christ covenanted together to glorify God by serving him in this world. Now, here's why I want to emphasize that. By that, I don't mean in order to be a local church, you have to have a church covenant. But this word, I just don't know a better word to describe how when when you have a gathering of believers and they have said, they have identified themselves as a church. So this this is why Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered, there you've got a church. As long as you've got Christians in the plural, you got a church. No. That's total abuse of Matthew 18. And it misses the point. The church is a gathering of believers, but not just sitting down having coffee together. 
The church is a gathering that is committed to one another, that is committed to loving each other and caring for each other and spurring each other on toward Christ and doing all the activities we're about to walk through. They do together and they identify themselves as a church and they align themselves with what God's word says is the church. And so when you've got a local body of believers that gathers together, and we see this popping up all over the book of Acts, we see instructions and Acts Acts and the, the New Testament letters. As believers gather together, they identify themselves with each other and they commit to each other and they grow together and they give themselves to the mission of God together. They worship together. They're baptized together. That's what's happening in a local, local church. That's what I mean by covenanted together. So Christians in local churches, as followers of Christ, we commit our lives to one another as a member, as a part of, of a local church for the good of ourselves. If you live the Christian life, try to live the Christian life apart from the local church, you will starve spiritually and you will live contrary to the New Testament. It's not good. The New Testament knows nothing of Christianity disconnected from local churches. God says it's a priority. Now it's not perfect Obviously, local churches aren't perfect. And the reason why they're not perfect is because you're in it. (laughs) And I'm in it. And that's why they're not perfect. And it's not going to be perfect when you get there. It's going to be worse. (laughs) Because you're a sinner and you're adding one more to the mix. But God is gracious, right? And that's the whole picture of the church. Like, it's why this is the announcement of his glory. Like, only God could take that group group of people and make something good out of it. Like, that's the point. So, for the good of ourselves, for the good of other Christians, you need other Christians, and they need you. They don't need to just sit next to you in a worship service either. They need you to commit your life to them, and they need you to commit your life to them. You say, well, what about, what about people outside the church? If we're all committed to each other, no, this is the beauty. We join church. We're part of a local church for the good of non-Christians because God's design in the church is to create a loving community that will be a dis- public display of the gospel to the world, a community that shows the difference that Christ makes and that draws people to Christ by our love for one another. The world is not drawn to Christ by seeing casual, anonymous church attenders everywhere. It doesn't do it. The world is drawn to Christ when they see people sacrificing their lives and love for each other and committed to each other in a way they don't see in any other place in the world. That's God's design. So do that for the good of non-Christians and ultimately for the glory of God. Let me, let me just ask this question, and, and hopefully if you're not convinced, <laughs> this will convince you. Like, How will we display the glory of the one who died for the church if we devote nothing to the church? Do it for your good and for the good of others who need you, and for the good of the lost who need to see Christ in the church, and do it for the glory of God. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at Radical.net.